Welcome to Between Data and Risk podcast. Today we'll talk about the food industry and the food-related chemical manufacturing with our guest Keith Wolf, executive director at one of the global chemical producers. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real-life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi. I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Chef Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll take a look at food industry and the food-related chemical manufacturing. With us, we have Keith Wolf, Executive Director at one of the global chemical producers, who agreed to share some of his experiences with us. Hello, Keith. Hello. How are you guys? Yeah. We are really good, excited uh, to to have you with us. Uh, could you tell us, uh, because we know that there are a lot of myths around food industry, and uh, we would like to debunk some of them and also talk about the specifics of the of the chemical uh, industry business operations. But I think the topic is so important that before we'll dig into, into business operations, we would like to ask you as a professional, uh, why do people think that chemicals in food are mm, bad, even though the whole food is just a uh, just bunch of chemicals, really? And uh, what good can be done with adding some chemicals to the food? Yeah, for sure. So you, you kind of have two ways to look at it. It's food or chemicals or additional chemicals as an ingredient. So the stuff you might see on a label um, and then you know chemicals that are used to uh, clean food systems to be able to, to operate on clean surfaces. So, you know, when you see something on a label, like, for example, sodium hexametaphosphate, I think that's probably the most common one people will kind of you know freak out a little bit about, um, you know, the, this is used to kind of develop the, the structure of certain foods, um, you know, um, or it might be used for some sort of a, a pH sort of need um, or, you know, a, a few few different things or to keep your, your process able to run longer. Um, but I think, you know, just in general, when you see something, a word that is that long, it's easy as a human to assume this is terrifying. And, you know, it, it's, it's not. And like, like you mentioned, you know, food is chemicals in and of themselves. The air we breathe is also uh, chemicals. Um, and any chemical that's used, you know, can, um, if, it, if it's over some sort of a tolerable limit, can, can affect the body, right? Um, but we're, we're ingesting and, and, and breathing in chemicals all the time. So, you know, there is a lot of work that goes into, especially food ingredients to making sure this is safe for the public. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's always something, you know, that, that might be discovered later that might be unhealthy. Um, I mean, how many times have we even said, you know, eggs are healthy or unhealthy? I know those aren't chemicals, but they are a food ingredient. You know, I feel <laughs> over the course of, of my adult lifetime, I've heard eggs are bad or good at least three different times. 
Um, so, but it is important. So chemicals need to go in there for the structure of the food um, to keep the food uh, preserved. I think that's really important. You know, this started with, you know, salt, brining and salting things, you know, a long time ago in our, in our history. So, we, and the salt is an, another, you know, could be considered a, a chemical ingredient. If, if we put sodium chloride on every label, you know, there'd be some people like, I can't have sodium chloride. Like, well, you, you put it on your potatoes before you eat it salt, right? Um, you know, just, just trying to, you know, ease people's minds that, uh, I guess to summarize what I'm saying, you know, th there is a lot of, of professionals that research this their whole life on how to put additional chemistry into food to make food consumable for, for humans and, and children and babies. You know, this stuff goes in there. Baby formulas, not SHMP uh, precisely, but there's all kinds of things we need to be able to preserve baby formulas and foods. Um, and that's kind of been a hot topic. Exactly. So like the, like the old scare about uh, dihydro monoxide, right, being uh, a, a terrible chemical and uh, blame for, for, ev for everything. Because So uh, at, it's kind of when, when you were talking about uh, sodium chloride, I, I thought maybe, maybe one of the ways, and this is, uh, I know it's early in the episode to, to, to make these, these kind of suggestions, but maybe we should just name every, every single uh, chemical instead of these, these long names, just call it Bob and, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, 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 or that, that nice thing, right, preserver, and that people, people will have, because a lot of it is, is, is about perception, right? And uh, uh, when, you, when you change people's perceptions, it, 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 it may affect also how they, uh, you know, how the, the, the market uh, accepts these things. When, when the chemicals are actually introduced into food, what, give, give us an idea of what kind of process they, they have to go through in order to be, to be accepted. Oh, geez. Um, just from a company's perspective, you've got to go through, uh, the ringer, I guess, with the government to be able to get it, get it approved. So you, so, I mean, it kind of starts with, Hey, I want to make this food. Okay. You've got an R and D lab that you're going to try to make the food and you're going to understand that there's different ingredients that need to go into it to make it do whatever. And then those things are going to be submitted. Um, and the FDA, USDA, these governing bodies um are going to look at them and see and, and approve them and this 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 isn't something that you you know on a tuesday we could expect to have done on a thursday mm -hmm. unless you put you know several years in between those that tuesday <laughs> and thursday so to um you know it's probably outside of my expertise to detail absolutely everything that goes into it mm -hmm. um but any modification you know there's always specs that you have to meet um, and so any, that range of specs has to be approved by, by the government more or less to be able to be ingested by human beings or even there, you know, chemicals go into animal feed and stuff like that too. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, if, if, you know, there's some deformed, even just by shape food and it needs to go to animal feed, there's regulations around what goes into animals as well. So there's a lot of regulation, basically it's, it's really hard to produce a piece of food that's unsafe. And it get past it. Uh, Marian, I think you have you're on mute. Uh, uh, you playing with those work. controls again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a control freak, you know. Uh, we, uh, I had a, you know, I've been lucky to work with company Rekit, and I've mentioned I think a couple of times uh, that. 
And uh, I worked with Airwick. And uh, one thing that I remember when I joined them, it was like, you know, everybody wants natural. Uh, it was smells, not, not food. I, I don't recommend anyone eating or drinking uh, Airwick. Uh, but I was asking, uh, like, why just not make them all natural? Like, you know? And they looked at me like, well, you know, I was crazy or stupid, which I was. And they said, but, you know, there would be such huge amount of allergies and allergic reactions to it. Uh, we try to balance between uh, market expectation and safety levels. We are trying to keep essential oils as low as possible because they are just dangerous. Uh, so uh, this perception that uh, this uh, artificial chemicals, whatever it means, uh, are bad and natural is good. I, I fell. I fell. I, I fell into it. I was like, you know, okay, let's let, let's just make them natural. And they were like, <clears throat> well, that's where. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, do, no. Do, I, do I you have just... the same? Do you do you have the same kind of uh, in almost inverse relationship in the in the food industry? Oh, for sure. Uh, there, there's, you know, I think the the most common thing I hear is. Well, I want all all organic um, food, and so I, you know, I I won't stick my foot in my mouth by talking about that too much. But there's there's policy and and guidelines around what can be considered organic, the same as you know uh, something that's grass fed piece of food or or um, free range. You know, you know, there's 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 guidelines for for what that means exactly. And so when people say, well, I I really like to eat organic food. I ask, well, where, where do you get your organic food from? And a lot of times, you know, they're talking about their, their, you know, their Saturday town, uh, you know, the, I don't go to them. So the name, uh, passes me, um, but where people are their farmer's market, that's what I'm trying to get, you know, so people are like, oh, I like to go to my farmer's market and I get Jeff's apples and, you know, they, they taste different and they look different. Well, yeah, of course it is. You know, a, a, a chicken's egg that you produce at your house is going to be dramatically different than one that you purchase in the store as well. Um, and so we hear organic. So kind of the same thing I think you're saying with, well, I want all natural. Like, well, okay, but what do you want exactly? So do you want uh, some food that there might be a greater risk for pathogens, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot, you know, the food industry is trying to keep pathogens out of their food. Um, and they do a really, really good job of that. And, you know, but if you want to present some of that risk, and I'm not saying anything bad about farmer's markets, but let's just say I'm eating my own food that I grow. You know, I need to eat it very quickly. Um, and there's there's some risk that I, I could make myself sick if I don't if I don't prepare it well from that point on. Um, you know the thing with the food industry and what they're trying to do is put the safest food out to you in the safest packaging. And I think I think that's really important too because it's not just the food product, but it's the overall product that you see go to the store. There's a lot of work that goes into make sh making sure that is as safe as possible. Um, so. When you want something organic, like you could buy something organic off a store shelf as well, and it, it's going to be it's going to be fine. It's going to work out pretty well for you as well. But I think people struggle with differentiating something coming out of the ground in your backyard between what's listed as organic at the store. If, if I remember correctly, organic there is an organization which uh, said, but correct me if I'm wrong, that certifies stuff that is organic, and it's not like they are completely let's say chemical three, there is just short list of pesticides that can be used. And these pesticides are actually pretty, uh, pretty old and they need to be used in some 
ridiculous concentration. So uh, I'm a biologist by by by, by education. Uh, I don't think that organic certification means healthy. I don't have a feeling it's exactly uh, the equal sign. But please correct correct me if I'm wrong. It's uh, I yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard of make make that claim. So it's the NOP. Um, is is going to be doing like organic certifications here in in the U.S. And you're right. There's there's a list of of uh, things you could have uh, contacting the food now. But I've, I've never I, I can't recall them ever saying healthy. And I don't want to upset the NOP and and have them come after. So I'm not. I want to stop there. Um, but they, they are a good agency to work through, and they do have clear rules. Now I, I would say one interesting thing working in the chemical manufacturing world, going into food plants, is the sanitizers that we use. Are registered as pesticides, um, so the EPA, is, you know, is, is largely in control of what what can be issued as a sanitizer, and the organic governing bodies they do have some some things. I, I won't list them all out here. There's not that many that you can use as a sanitizer for like like if you've you've ran some stuff, some product, and now you need to clean it. You need to start the next run, so you need to sanitize. And so it's really right there where they kind of step in to say. Uh, hey, yeah, you use what you need to to get the surfaces clean, but for the final food contact step, it needs to be one of these sort of uh, sanitizers, which are pesticides by by definition, just the way the sanitizer works. So they're killing uh, um, uh, microbes, right? They're 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 killing pathogens. So that's that's why they're considered a, a pesticide, among many other things. Uh, I I wanted to. Change the tack a bit because uh, I, I think we've we've upset the the organic yeah. uh, food people. Yeah, right. We've up, uh, we've upset quite yeah. a, quite a lot of groups already. So let's now talk about something serious uh, about data analytics because uh, obviously Marin is a, is, a, is a data guy and uh, uh, just to keep him happy, how do you use data analytics to to make essentially the food chemicals better and to, to, to improve your, your, your production. So just from the relationship we have with the food industry, data is king, right? And, you know, we, we try to utilize more and more data every day um, because, you know, we're largely staffed by, you know, either scientists in some way, shape or form or people with the scientific view. Um, and so it becomes difficult to go to food manufacturers and say, well, here's what I think based on my experience. And there's nothing wrong with having experience, but at some point you need to be able to back that up with that. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of observation um, that turns into recommendations, that turns into plans to improve something in some way, shape or form. And it can't be licking the finger and putting our finger up there and say, you should trust me because I am. Well, yeah, we're, there's there's got to be something, and so yeah, data. We, we we lean heavily on that, especially when you're dealing with, you know, trending something or or trying to figure out, you know, mild slips and processing, or maybe mild increases in bacterial counts. Um, you know, sometimes you see real big spike events, and you need to be able to recognize that, and then you need to be able to use that data to then look down and see what's changed. Um, because, you know, from my perspective, you know, chemicals just don't that have been used for, say, a decade in a process don't suddenly become ineffective. And, and I, I, I could almost say that with a certainty, you know, if, if, if there's a problem, 
it's probably not the chemicals that have been used in a certain way for a very, very long time. Something else has changed. So before our technical break, you were mentioning that chemicals don't stop suddenly, you know, working. It's usually some other reason, if you would be so kind as to uh, tell us what can happen that, you know, I'm adding my salt to my soup and it's, you know, salty. And one day I add my salt to my soup and all of a sudden it's not. It's sweet. There's something wrong with your soup or your, 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 or you're putting sugar in your, in your soup. Um, you know, basically, so that's, that's kind of what I was, if, if, if you've been doing the same thing and nothing's changed and then suddenly you have a problem, it's really easy to kind of point towards uh, chemicals. And I think it's just a general reaction, but you know, they're not going to become ineffective overnight. Right. Um, there's usually some sort of, some sort of change that occurs with the process and the product or, I mean, you know, food manufacturing has, you know, incredibly large pieces of equipment that they process on that have a lot of control measures on them. And all it takes is say one uh, temperature probe uh, for becoming faulty and unrecognized to completely ruin several runs of, of producing food. And it can be quite difficult to track down. Um, so with, I think, you know, we were talking about data and stuff. So it's, it's always important to be able to trend things um, from, you know, chemical application to runtime to, are you trying to make a different sort of product? Like when you talk about your soup, you know, I would almost guarantee you have done something wrong with your soup. Uh, and maybe you poured oatmeal instead of soup, uh, but it's probably not that salt or yeah, certainly you, you know, or you had a salt shaker that you filled, uh, full of sugar. For, for example, uh, years and years ago, there was a, I was at a, I was eating dinner someplace and a, a bartender had offered for me to drink an old fashioned drink. And I was like, I've never had one. Sure. It was the saltiest drink I've ever had in my life. And I drank it all obviously. And then he's like, what'd you think? I was like, this is awful. This is probably the worst thing I've ever drank. And I was like, it's too salty. He's like salty. And he took a drink out of the straw or whatever, from whatever's left. And he's like, Oh, like that. He's like, he looked at his ingredients and instead of putting, I think bitters or, or something, he had put, a kosher salt, something like that. It was the wrong ingredient and it made the thing awful, but he had no idea until the consumer drank it. Right. Cause you probably don't want your bartender tasting every, every drink anyway. But, um, you know, there's always some, some change that happens. And what, what we work with food manufacturers on is identifying that. And, you know, very rarely is it going to be the process of, of, of chemical addition that you've been using for a very, very long time. If, if somebody thinks it is, um, you know, they're probably trying to sell you more chemicals and that's, that's not always necessary. It's more important to find what's happened in the process. Um, you know, than than really just any sort of knee jerk reaction. Sometimes you do need knee jerk reactions to get something mm -hmm. solved quickly. Um, but you know, at least from the organization I, I work with people I work with, we really want to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And, and the answer is, is generally processing. And, uh, if nothing's changed, that, that's where we're going to start. Actually so anyway, that very, is key. Very interesting. You mentioned about something really interesting because uh, we spoke with uh, Marcus Conlein some time ago. They produce uh, precision machines. And he said that they work really uh, closely with people who actually use their machines. They're not just producing machines and putting them and do whatever we want with it. Uh, because they are high-precision machines and they take part in, in complicated processes, they also work with, with their clients to improve and, and, and to uh, add some data layers because these machines can use some data that, that their clients not always have. And I'm really interest, uh, interested to hear that uh, 
you it's not like you produce chemicals and you just put them on the shelf and there is someone coming taking them and adding them to the soup uh, it's really interesting that you work uh, how do you map the processes like you know we are we are in the business of mapping processes uh, so you sparked our interest greatly how, how how do you approach mapping the process that 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 you are you know analyzing do, do your clients let you do it because i know that we, we need to jump through a lot of hoops before anybody you know opens up enough uh, enough for us to help them well, I mean, the first step is going to be non-disclosure agreements, oh, sure. and things like that to have access. Um, but there, you know, I, I, I can't think of anybody, nor would I say it here. Otherwise, we'd have to black out my face during this <laughs> podcast um, that that won't allow us to see, you know, process flow charts and diagrams and things like that. Um, for us, it's it's equally as important to match up physically what's out there with that diagram. Because even if, say you're even looking at some sort of a system on a, on a computer screen, um, you know, these things are designed so your eye can follow things properly. That's not reality out on site, right? Um, and so it's, it's really important for us to know that and to be able to, yes, take this map, but have a really understanding of where all those things actually are. And, you know, we usually start with, We'll have a process flow map or something, something like that, and we'll have control maps um, that that customers will share. But it's our our responsibility. I feel anyway that we know where every bit of chemical goes in a facility and in a process. That's that's what we really need to understand first and foremost. Um, and it just so happens when we do that, we also learn a lot about the process process flow. You know, but if if anybody's ever like, hey, where does you know this many unit of measure of this chemical go, we should be able to sit there and just immediately say here, 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 and here, and in these amounts and at these frequencies and at this rate, and here's, and then, you know, maybe we have to do some typing or looking up and we can say, and here's, here's the trend of all those quantities and additions. Like that's, that's what we want to do and be able to offer to people. So we keep our thumb on that stuff. Um, but we do need to know the process well. Like if, if there is an issue and a problem, we, we should already have that piece but we should also understand that flow to make the product. So when and to clean the product, clean so the product. Uh, just so that we can understand your role, uh, do you help customers uh, design or improve those uh, th those processes, or are you more interested in uh, you know customers that they have the process, but you you help them debug kind of what what's what's going on? What's what's your objective when you're looking at those processes? Our objective is both those things you just you just mentioned. Um, we also have a lot of relationships with equipment manufacturers that we bring them in as well. Um, but yeah, we're, we're you know as as far as designing or design modifications, these are things that we're going to be able to observe and and speak to, along with the support from from equipment manufacturers. Um, so yeah, we want the processes to improve. Um, you know, a lot of times what we're looking at is. Or, or what we're looking at is how to get a system uh, cleaned properly. You know, that's that's kind of first and foremost and and have it be able to run, you know, product as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. That's what we're working largely with our customers on. You know, some from time to time that does leak down into the actual processing of, of the product and trying to lend our, our support there as well. But first and foremost for us is always going to be the cleaning and sanitizing of of equipment efficiently. 
You you did mention safety, and that that kind of leads leads me to to, to a very interesting uh, area, obviously for me, which is risk. When when you look at those those processes, and uh, uh, when when you think in the context of chemicals, uh, obviously people we, we, we not not thinking about people's perception because you obviously have a much better understanding of what uh, what those chemicals are actually meant to 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 do. How what what is your perception of the main risks that you you consider when looking at the process, and how would you how would you classify the main risks that you you think about? So there's there's a few ways that products could be recalled. Um, one of those is chemical adulteration or something to that effect. So you know for us whether it's you know making sure that we have everything in place to where cleaning chemicals don't get into the process of the food um, or any food additives aren't doing something that's going to jeopardize the, the food safety. So food safety just in general is, you know, the, the top bill that we have. So and it's an easy thing to say, you know, with food safety, because everything else does trickle down with that, um, whether it's the actual safety of the food or uh, making sure human beings are, you know, being exposed to, to chemicals, right? Um, so I don't know if that's answering it that well, but, um, yeah, there's, there's always very specific, you know, things in place to prevent as much as possible uh, up to the point of physical disconnection of chemical systems, um, to a, to a process flow. Most every food process flow, if it doesn't need a chemical ingredient will be disconnected physically from any sort of chemicals going into where it would take, you know, again, a human want to be malicious or something or just you know, ignorant to a process mm -hmm. and pouring something which is so thinking thinking about this so you've got the the safety of the of the product from the kind of intentional design perspective that you've got the safety of the product from any malicious kind of intervention from uh, from from anyone uh, I, I i'm thinking also of you probably have um uh, um, the environmental impact of your production on uh, in in your site as well, right? That's it. How how do you consider this? So yeah, every you know geography is is going to have different things that they expect to be coming through their affluent water from from plants, right? Um, so I mean, you you have to identify what those standards are. A lot of times, it's a certain pH value. Um, and a lot of food manufacturers will have wastewater treatment plants um, to treat and, and try to get solids out. And, and, I, and I'm certainly not a, a wastewater expert. I'm, I'm enough to be dangerous and I'm, I'm a lot to be dangerous, I guess, with wastewater. I leave that up to the people. But um, yeah, go, government regulating bodies are going to say what's acceptable to come through the affluent stream. And we just got to know and we got we got to react. Uh, some places, you know, they'll they'll gauge off of like electrical conductivity or sodium load. Like that's a real big one. You know, they, they want to prevent as much sodium. They might prefer potassium, for example, over sodium. It's just figuring that out and then, you know, moving accordingly. So in your context, uh, because we we speak a lot to our clients and uh, also on this podcast about ESG, right? And it's it's an acronym that's become a, a bit of a 
of, of a weird one recently because everyone we we talk to understands those three letters slightly differently. So from your perspective and in your line of work, could you kind of give us an idea how you understand ESG impact of, of, of what you do? I don't think I've heard ESG. What does that even mean? I don't mean to ruin your... your... Uh, environmental, social, and, and, and governance. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm just bad at acronyms. These three... These three. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> no, I, it's 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 a tough one, and I, I apologize wholeheartedly. But it's you know, pe- various people. Every, everyone is pretty much comfortable environmental. That's okay. We understand it. And then people say, "Oh, what's social? What's governance?" And different people have problems with either of those two. So you know, give give it your best shot. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'm with you. I'm just terrible at acronyms. Uh, for all I knew, that was some chemical that I couldn't put together in my head. <laughs> so yeah, you know, without going too much into it, you know, I think yeah, the conversation always gets the most interesting at that social. And I agree, people, you know, take that, um, you know, different ways. You know, for me, you know, um, I, I I don't think I'm going to dive into that here. Um, maybe if we were at a bar having some beers, I, I might have, you know, some, some thoughts. And I, I, I guess I think, um, there's so much conversation to be had around just social programs in general or, or, or just society, um, that it's always nice. And this, this isn't what you're asking. I know, but it, it's always nice to be able to talk to people that think differently or that translate things differently and, and still you know, not shout or, or anything like this. Um, and also be, be able to, if, if you do have some strong opinion, be swayed by other people, be open to reason. And I, you know, I said earlier, you know, being scientist is, is quite important. You know, one of the best things as a scientist anybody should have is being wrong. You know, it, it's always, it's kind of a thrilling thing to, to be wrong and to be able to say, oh, I was wrong. Awesome. What's the right answer? I don't know if anybody's going to have a boilerplate good answer to that S right in the middle. I certainly don't. Um, I do know, you know, uh, not to speak, I guess, for my organization, but, um, you know, we, we do talk about these things quite frequently. And I would just refer you to our, our website if you want to website. look it up. Or, yeah, you guys get it. Like, I don't <laughs> want to. But, I, but I, I do think that, you know, all three of those categories uh, do need to be discussed. And, um, I, I don't, I, I hope there's never a point where, where we think we've got them all solved, uh, because then I think we're, we're missing something pretty dramatic. I know that doesn't answer your question uh, at all, but no, no, you know, we, we ask these questions exactly for the reasons that you specified. We want to hear people and we try to create atmosphere where we can, where we can discuss. We do not try to force any opinions. We are really, really curious about how different people understand them, and we try to compile some some bigger picture in our heads, uh, as much as our small minds can, can capture bigger picture. But well, hey ho! I would like to steer us to the safer, safer water. I'm sorry, Arthur, to to, to cut in, but I see that <laughs> you know there are reefs and you know crocodiles. So let's. Uh, Let's get uh, to to to, to be down to business. <laughs> there to dragons. Uh, let, let, let's get back to business. Um, yeah. I had some exposure, very little, but I remember when we spoke with some global chemical manufacturers, 
there was a discussion about innovation. And the problem in chemical industry at at, at big level was that innovation was pretty slow because stopping the chemical production for even a day or a time. uh, And I worked with some European funding of of research projects and there were like startups and we have this amazing technology and this big chemical dirty factories, they can become so green, they will reduce something by uh, 0.05% or something. And the the answer from big uh, companies was, you know, To introduce this technological change that you that you that you that you mentioned, it would take a, we would have to shut down the production for for a couple of days or weeks. Then restarting it, it's not like an engine that you just press the, the button and it all goes boom. Uh, restarting it, it would take us three months uh, to have the efficiency, and uh, probably we would uh, you know observe the changes or ROI we would achieve in 10 to 20 years. Uh, is it still the case that, that the chemical industry has, at least in your case, uh, has such a volume that introducing these small changes, is, is you need a really good reason to, to change the process? Or is it much more agile now? So from my perspective, it, it's not. I, don't, I, I think you know, we, you always have planned shutdowns, scheduled shutdowns, and then unplanned shutdowns where you have you know, usually enormous amounts of, of stock of what you're doing. Now, if you're, if, when you're, when you're talking about chemical manufacturing from pulling ore out of the ground and burning it, um, and, and then, you know, making some reaction to get chemical products there. Yeah, that, that, that is a problem for, for me personally, that's not something I, I struggle with. Um, but I, but there are like, um, you know, there was a unscheduled shutdown of a main chemical ingredient late last year. And the ripple effects of that were pretty extreme. Fortunately, the 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 you you know after the uh, shutdown, they were able to respond very quickly, and they had a lot of supply. Um, so it was it wasn't too bad. But you know, from my perspective, that that's that's not really been a, a major concern. And we we there's a lot of redundancy too, in, in having chemical products. So um, I think I think uh, you know the one thing that you know one of the few things that have been scary over the last few years was. Uh, the issues with our our rail railroads here in the U.S. Um, you know, if a railroad shuts down, now now you got a problem. Um, but a, you know, manufacturing one of our our branches shut down for a couple of days. Is- okay. So how how do you work with innovation? What 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 uh, kind of other avenues do you have for for innovating within your your space? Uh, being able to uh, blend specific products quickly and at a high or at a higher concentration, if that if that means anything. So you know, a lot of chemicals that go out there are in liquid form, at least in, in my world, um, and you know they're they're blended specifically for a certain process, and they're largely water. Um, so we're we're shipping you know quite a bit of water. So if there's ever a way, and we you know we have people that work on this sort of thing constantly to have a more concentrated product, um, we're shipping less water. I think, you know, from an innovation perspective, that's what we're trying to do. Or we're trying to, you know, maybe clean things with, say, enzymes a, a little more for less of a, a, an impact on, on the environment, in most cases. Um, you know, just different ways to, to do what we're doing better. I know that's probably not the best best answer, but I think most of the conversations I have around innovation are are having more 
more concentrated products. Now, the problem with, you know, you could always send powdered products, right? That, but what's going to happen next? Now you're, you're asking somebody to mix up powder. So if you're used to getting something at 50%, so let's just take, take 50% caustic, you know, sodium hydroxide caustic. Um, that's, that's about as high as you're going to get without it being like a slurry and it just being nonsense. But you could send powdered versions of that at 98, 99%, you know, or somewhere around there. But now you have to have a human with a knife or something, or some contraption or a super sack. There's a, just getting some of that dust on you. It's going to burn you pretty quick. Uh, just real quick. Uh, we were talking about misconceptions earlier, uh, you know, with chemicals years ago, there was, there was a person that had told me that sodium hydroxide liquid 50%. Is it hazardous unless it's hot? It won't won't hurt you until it's hot. And he had been told that by somebody, you know, similar to what I was doing. Somebody had said this, and I was like, "You want to?" I go, "You want to go put your hand in it right now?" And, and he goes, "Actually, no." For some reason, I feel like that's a terrible idea. I was like, "Yeah, it's a terrible <laughs> idea." I go, of course, when, when when things get hot, you know, they're 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 going to be more hazardous just in general, right? You know, 70 degree <laughs> water isn't as bad as 180 degree water. Um, but anyway, so I, I'm digressing a little bit, but that was, you know, they're just going back to the misconception thing. Like, no, man, don't do that. That is, that is terrible. And here's why. Don't listen. <laughs> I told you that. No, I think it would, if you would send it as a powder, I guess uh, getting it, as you mentioned, to, to, back to the liquid form brings whole host of different risks uh i remember when people were calculating uh calculating percentages during my studies it, it could be challenging it's like you know like three numbers you need to uh calculate and it was over over some of the people's heads uh, so when yeah, and for, ups, for you yeah. biologists, anything that's that's you know multiplication is a oh my god, where's my <laughs> multi, mul, multi what multi exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I mean this this uh, talk, talk talking about the the the, the misconceptions and the, the various pre prejudices. It has brought us a, a very nice round circle uh, uh, around the discussion. I think it was. Very interesting to 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 hear uh, because, at, as as we said in the beginning, it's it's when when people hear chemicals uh, connected to food, it's some something at the back of the brain. It's it switches on and and people tend to freak out. So having a, a frank conversation about it and just hearing that it's it's all controlled. There's a lot of process, a lot of data going into it. it it's it's it's. I think it should be reassuring. If people wanted to find out more about this, what where, where would you send them? Do you have any kind of go-to uh, resources that people could delve into and and get just get more educated? Yeah, when you're talking about just food in general, uh, the USDA, if you just go right to that website, they're going to have fantastic information for you. When you're talking about um, you know food safety and quality, they're they're going to hit all those all those marks. You know, when you're talking about chemicals, you might throw the EPA in there. The website can be a little difficult to navigate, um, but you know, as it, all it, government you know, websites are. Yeah, yeah, and USDA is not. <laughs> it's, it's not bad. You know, it can have some more pictures. Um, but you know, the I think you know, unless you're, I guess one of my messages is is yeah, there's there's a lot of regulation here, um, and there's a lot of a lot of people that it's their life's work to make sure 
you know, food and chemical additives in the food are of, of the safest quality. Trust them. You know, there's going to be people who are like, well, I don't trust the government. Well, then I, I don't know what to tell you, you know, but we spoke about strong opinions and, yep, uh, yep. and and you know at some point you just go hey right on you know you you go you know do, do whatever you want but you know like from my perspective you know the the usda website is going to be a really really good place to start um there's you know various different subscriptions you could get from there you know to notify you of product recalls and things like that to kind of keep your thumb on it as best as you want um, it's and even if you have a favorite food going to their website i can guarantee you they're going to have a frequently asked questions or a food safety bit um to, to say hey here's here's our programs and what we're trying to do. or or, may, or or maybe just keep to liking this food <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stick, it. Stick, I mean, to, stick to stick, what, you, what you like yeah uh, yeah and uh with with that i think we've uh you know if if people want to get more educated, obviously they 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 can. If if people want to distrust this, hey ho, we can't change everyone's mind. Yeah. But as always, let's hope it was of use to at least someone. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Also, don't miss the next one where we'll talk to Alan Gray, head of digital innovation at Agri-Food Systems Lab at Purdue Applied Research Institute and executive director at Purdue Dial Ventures. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit pdr.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Shared Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guja, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak. Thank you and goodbye.